Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Pod. We have a very, very special Christmas edition for you. In, in fact, we have a guest from the Primetime Titans podcast. Robert Brown is in the house. If you're not listening to the Primetime Titans podcast, you're doing it wrong. Uh, the Titans are about to finish their season up here and head to the playoffs, and they just came off a giant win against the 49ers last night. So we're going to recap that as well as the Grizzlies game last night against the Golden State Warriors. And then we're going to talk Tennessee sports, sort of a state of the union address, if you will, just to see where they are, uh, compare and contrast the way the teams have been built, um, and talk about uh, culture and how it's important and how we think that Tennessee is doing a pretty good job of it. So tune in. It's going to be a great episode, and we'll be back with you very soon. Welcome to the special edition of the Grizzden slash Primetime Titans podcast. If you're a Primetime Titans listener, you probably don't recognize my voice. Uh, I'm Will, and I'm joined by Robert, who you will recognize. Welcome, Robert. Thank you, Will. Glad to be here. Um, If you did not know... Um, the Grizzden pod and the primetime Titans podcast are related, uh, not necessarily by only business, but also blood family, uh, a family of pods. It is. So, uh, Robert and I are cousins. Um, and we, I always knew that he was a Titans fan. We had kind of started our Grizzlies podcast, I guess a year ish before. Um, and he had a very similar group that he, of course, Ty and Brantley are the other two hosts on the Grizzden pod. They're not here today. We're actually recording on Christmas Eve. Uh, so we're, 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 we've got the family. So we expect all of you to listen probably tomorrow That's or right. right around 8 a.m. when you wake up before Please. you go see your presents. <laughs> yes, and uh, we are here with family, not not only just in the same city, but there are some family members in the room. Yes. So if you hear bra- background noise, that's why. Um, but yeah, Ty Brantley and I had always been wa- watched Grizzlies games, always talked about it, decided to record it and throw it out there really for fun. And it's, it's turned into something a little bit bigger than fun, um, which has been a blast to, to experience. But then Robert had a very similar, uh, I guess, situation watching Titans games where you and JG and Pettit would always just text and talk about it and decided to record it. And, just hit record. Uh, that's right. And so um, I do a little bit of editing, um, which is about 1% of all the content that the Primetime Titans put out. Um, but um, it's it's really fun to get to actually be here today. Yeah, I feel like we are we have a, a huge role in in the relationship between Memphis and Nashville. We're it's healing, huge. We're healing the state over here. We are building bridges. That's right. Uh, we're about more than sports. So we thought that this was a perfect time to get together and talk. Not only uh, because we were just going to be in the same room, but because actually last night, the 23rd, both the Grizzlies and the Titans played games. Not only that, they played games against uh, San Francisco teams. I realized that like late last night, that uh, the Titans played the 49ers, Grizzlies played the Warriors. Uh, so the Titans won. 
huge game. huge victory. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the Titans game. And we're going to let Robert lead that discussion. Then we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the Grizzlies' loss, unfortunately. But then we want to get into a broader discussion about uh, professional sports in Tennessee and kind of where we are. And, and so we're going to just spend a few minutes today doing that. So, Robert, let's start with the Titans. That was a giant victory. How many weeks are left? So we have three uh, – I'm sorry, two games left. We have the Dolphins and the Texans. So um, we are now 10-5. and five. And the Colts are eight and six, I believe. So we are two games ahead of the Colts. But really, if the Colts lose tomorrow on Christmas, we win the AFC South. And if the Chiefs lose this weekend on Sunday, and if the Patriots lose, we'll be the number one seed in the AFC again. It's such a turnaround mm. from where we were heading into Week 16. We we thought the Titans were dead in the water. Can't move the football. Can't hold on to the football. And honestly, the first half, we every, I mean, I was out on the Titans after the first half. It's ten nothing at halftime. I was texting some so our primetime Titans crew, shout out JG and Pettit, um, about how uh, I think it's time we move on from Tannehill. He's he doesn't know how to he can't throw the football anymore. He can't move around in the pocket, which I still think some of those things are true. But then to see him come out in the second half and to say, you know what, we have the one of the best wide receivers in the NFL and A.J. Brown, and we knew going into the game that the San Francisco 49ers' corners were their weakest point of their defense. Their D-line is elite. Their linebackers are really, really good. Their safeties are really, really good. But David Lombardi, uh, beat beat reporter for The Athletic, we had him on to preview the 49ers game, and his his number one cause of concern was an old Josh Norman and a um, a rookie corner on the edge going against Julio and A.J. Brown. And so finally, Tannehill, we've been waiting for him to do it all season. He started to look like his 2019-2020 self and just threw the ball to A.J. Brown over and over and over, and they could not cover him. So it was really refreshing to see, and there's now some talk amongst the Titans community about you know just, just whispers. If we can get Derrick Henry back, and if we can play like that on defense, and if A.J. Brown can stay healthy, maybe we have a really good shot at coming out of the AFC in – and going to the Super Bowl. What's the updated timeline on Henry? Because I know it's it's, so, it's potentially before the playoffs, right? Right. So today is today today's Friday. Yep. So um, he is between week seven and eight on Tuesday. In three days, it'll be or in four days, it'll be eight weeks since he went under the knife and got surgery. So this injury timeline is six to ten weeks, and. All reports are saying that he's doing really, really well, and he's ahead of schedule. Um, what we heard last week, at the beginning of last week, was that if we need him to play Week 18 against the Texans, for whatever reason, whether it's to get in the playoffs, maybe to get a one seed, although I don't know if Vrabel would do that. Yeah, that's risky. He he tends to take it slow with his, his injured players, but they don't give timelines. Vrabel does not give timelines, um, which helps the player not feel pressure to come back too early. Uh, and, and hit a certain date. So they're very hush-hush. We probably won't know until we hear Derrick Henry is going to be activated off of IR. I would fully expect him to play in the playoffs. Now, whether he plays before that or not, it will probably depend on where the Titans are. And the, the Tannehill issue is one that I know you guys had a big debate on. Was it before the season started or was it into the season? Yeah, well, it's kind of been ongoing, but before the season we said – 
if Tannehill, you know, you bring in Julio Jones, and before the season we thought Julio was going to be a lot better than he has been. He's been a big disappointment. Um, can't stay healthy, and when he is healthy, Tannehill doesn't throw him the football. And it's one of the most frustrating things that we, we can't really understand, especially the last three games when Julio was healthy but A.J. wasn't. Tannehill still wasn't throwing him the football. So Julio's a mystery, but um, back to your question, Tannehill with all of these weapons, with a healthy Derrick Henry, with a healthy A.J. Brown, with, with a pretty good offensive line when they're healthy and playing well, we said before the season if the Titans don't go to the AFC Championship game, then it's likely we need to move on from Tannehill. Now there's a lot of factors that go into that. We also said before the season we didn't expect our defense to be very good. That's completely turned around. We are now with Zach Cunningham, probably one of the top three defenses in the NFL, second in the NFL against the run. We just held one of the best rushing attacks in the league under 100 yards. And so the defense is a strong point for our team now. And so now, really, we're going into the playoffs, and I think it's probably even more true. I'd be interested, and we will get John Garrett and Pettit's take on this next week when we're all back together after the holidays. But, um, I mean, this is Tannehill's chance. This is the best team he's going to have. You're going to get Derrick Henry back healthy. A.J. Brown showed last night how how incredible he is. You're going to get Lawan back. You're going to get Saffold back. Our offensive line is starting to play better. I mean, this is it's going to be on Tannehill. If we make a run he is going to have to step up and make plays like he did in the second half last night going on a huge run on that final drive to get us in the field goal range that's what we need to see more of trusting his receivers to stay to get open moving in the pocket and not just being a statue there because let's face it everybody in the NFL once you get into the playoffs has good defensive lines your your offensive line isn't going to be able to block and and just stand still the defensive line for five seconds. So Tannehill has to move and help his offensive lineman and avoid the rush. And he didn't do that the first three or the the past three games or in the first half last night. So it's a big question mark. Who's going to show up? Is it 2019 Ryan Tannehill or is it you know 2020 2021 Ryan Tannehill who we're not very impressed with? And you got to. I mean, I think the 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 AFC championship uh, criteria is an interesting one because especially this year, you're not looking at the strongest AFC that we've seen in recent, you know, many years back. I mean, the chiefs are starting to come into form so that I guess that AFC statement was probably more true like four or five weeks ago, but now they're looking a little bit more scary, but I mean, you have a lot more contenders. It seems like right now in the NFC, but what is your take on like kind of the broader AFC, how the Titans fit into the playoff picture? I think, I think the Chiefs probably went out, and if the Chiefs went out, they're the one seed. I think the personally, I think the Patriots are overrated. I don't think they've played anyone very good. And what I mean by that, obviously they played us, they played the Bills, they played the Browns, but when they played those teams, all of their best players were hurt, or when they played the Bills, it was 55-mile-an-hour wins, and so the Bills loved to throw the ball around the field. The Bills couldn't move the football because the wins would, would – you throw it 10 yards down the field, and the wind takes it – um, it makes it uncatchable. So you saw last week the Colts beat them by 10 points. I, I really think the Patriots are overrated. I think the Colts are dangerous. Um, the Ravens, if they get Lamar Jackson back, I think they're pretty dangerous, but they've had so many injuries, it's kind of hard to to overcome that, which makes what we've done so impressive. We, we are the most injured team in the history of the NFL, the Titans are. Last night we activated two players, new, two new players to the team, putting us at 88 players on the season that have been activated. That's an NFL record set by the 49ers last year. They set it at 84. 
and that was for a whole season. So with two games left, we're at 88 players who have been activated. Um, it's not a really, record you want. Not the record you want at all, but it's it's absolutely remarkable what Vrabel has done to get us 10 wins with the injuries and the key players who have been out. I think he should be coach of the year. Um, probably a little biased there, but we, being in Nashville, and I know we're going to get to this a little bit later, we don't get the national media recognition that we probably deserve or probably would if we were in Dallas or Miami or New York. And I know the Grizzlies, you know, we see that a lot in, in, in free agency um, you know, knowing that the Grizzlies have to build through the draft and they have to they, they're not they can't rely on getting the big name free agency. Well, you know, in the NFL, free agency is a little bit different, but where we really see the the market come into play is we don't get that recognition for the Pro Bowl or for Coach of the Year. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Simmons, Jeffrey Simmons, absolutely one of the be- I I just put him right behind Aaron Donald in terms of best defensive tackles in the league. He's a Pro Bowl snub, and he played pissed off last night. Kevin Byard came out and said, I know for a fact that motivated Jeffrey Simmons to play better or to play angry. Um, so, yeah, we're, he's Rabel's not going to win Coach of the Year. He should. But we just don't get that national media recognition um, or praise because, you know, we're a newer franchise, smaller fan base, and um, they like talking about the teams that get them, get them ratings and get them clicks. Yep. Well, that's a great segue. Um, let's talk about the Grizzlies for a few minutes. Uh, last night they fell to the Golden State Warriors, one thirteen to one hundred four. Uh, the Warriors are second right now in the West. Grizzlies are fourth. Uh, it's a little bit misleading because the top three teams in the Western Conference in the NBA are so far and above the rest, and so the Grizzlies are kind of the leaders of this bunch of teams that only have like two or three games separating them right now, and so. Yeah, on paper it was the second versus the fourth team, but really you have to factor that in. Um, John Morant, this was his second game back uh, after being on the on the IR, I guess in NBA's terms, uh, not necessarily IR, but he's been he's been out for for a few weeks now and is just starting to get back into the flow. And another note I wanted to make here, which I thought was pretty fascinating, the Golden State Warriors payroll is 184 million which is $71 million over the cap. Now, in the NBA, you are able to go over the cap, but after a certain point, you have to pay a luxury tax when the year ends. And so they're going to have one of the highest luxury tax bills uh, in in NBA history. And so you have that. You have four max players on their roster right now, which doesn't happen very often. The Grizzlies right now have the 29th uh, highest payroll at $115 million. And so you're literally looking at a $70 million difference of these two teams, which and is does wild. That, does that come right out of the owner's pocket at the end of the year? It does. And so you have to have an owner that is willing to to spend for wins. And there are a lot of teams that will actually sacrifice quality in order to stay under the luxury tax threshold because their owner is quote-unquote cheap. Now they're billionaires. And so you know a dollar is not the same to them as most people. Um, but if you're in the NBA, it has become a norm to be willing to go over that luxury tax if you have a team that you think could get over the hump. And so, like right now, the Brooklyn Nets are the second highest payroll. Most people know the Brooklyn Nets have three of the highest paid players in the NBA, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. Um, and so it's a, the cap uh, is, is really uh, an interesting beast to try to discuss and tackle and it's not always the easiest because of the different exceptions and things like that but I mean at the end of the day you can tell when a team has been spending 
way more than others. And so that's going to be really interesting to see how they deal with that. Um, what would you say the Grizzlies owner is? I mean, do you, are they really willing? Is it a group? So, no, it's it's one guy. Um, he actually, uh, ironically enough, there were articles written uh, all throughout 2020. He's He works in software, um, has a couple companies out in California, um, and he actually, his net worth, like, tripled during 2020, which was great news wow, for the Wow, so Grizzlies. he might have some money to pay so it to luxury at tax. at some point, and this is another fun fact, the highest paid player on the Grizzlies right now is $17 million. Whereas the a maximum cap salary in the NBA is around thirty. Is that Stephen Adams? Stephen Adams, seventeen. Uh huh. And then you are looking at now like guys like Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry is one, another one that are going to be making like in the forties and fifty million wow. uh, because of these special um, arrangements for if you're the one of the very top players and have top uh, honors, you get into this super max category. Um, and so, anyway, and I we just, think we think Ja will probably be in there before long, right? So Ja, basically, he will be maxed out, which is what the Grizzlies have been planning for for I mean years now uh, in the rebuilding. We have the cap slot waiting for him, and um, he'll be he'll be eligible for that next summer, which it'll then kick in the year after. Okay, and so we still Jaren's contract that he just signed was around a hundred million for four, over four years, and so his will start kicking in next year. Gotcha. Um, and by the way, the Grizzly owner's name is Robert Para. I meant to mention his name. Okay. But um, anyway, all that is like the backdrop for last night. Steph Curry is their best player. He was ridiculous, scored 46 points. Um, they are their second-best player, Clay Thompson, hurt. Right now he's going to be on the way back in the next month or so. Draymond Green was unbelievable too. And they had to have another guy to step up, and Gary Payton the second. Uh, was a guy who did. He hit four threes, which is career high, had 22 points. And um, the Grizzlies hit 11 less threes than the Warriors, which, I mean, in the NBA these days, it's a three-point shooting league. That's going to be uh, that's gonna be a lot of the reason why you might win or lose on a certain night. They are The Grizzlies are now 1-9 and nine when they don't make 10 total threes, and they're 18-4 and four when they do. They made, I believe, eight last night. So didn't get to that 10 mark. And that's a big explanation. The other part of this is they're usually really good uh, in the paint area. And at one point last night, they were 3 of 12 at the rim. They just had some bad luck. I mean, Steven Adams and Xavier Tillman, who came off the bench, just, I mean, couldn't buy a bucket down there. Adams actually finished with zero points, which doesn't happen very much. And Tillman finished 4 for 10. Um, One interesting thing, John Morant, DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, and Jaron Jackson Jr., which there's arguments to those five guys being the top five players on our team, or at least in the top seven. They have never played together in a lineup, and last night they were the closing lineup. And so that's going to be a really interesting thing. That's because Jaw was injured for a while and Dylan was injured at the beginning, and their injuries kind of overlapped a little bit. Um, so I just wrote down just a few highlights and lowlights. So the highlights were D'Anthony Melton off the bench. He was a 20-point scorer. Jaron has been a lot more aggressive in the paint, which is great. Um, Ja was actually playing uh, to score. He was more so playing to facilitate last game, which, uh, for better or worse, we actually have now 0-2 since Ja came back. That was, that was a storyline that actually came out where there were a couple Grizzlies fans in the home game that he just played a couple nights ago telling him to sit down 
because the team was playing better without him. The team won 10 of 11 games without John Morant. And a lot of the reason why, and I went kind of on this thread on Twitter explaining all of the different reasons why they did this, and that was mostly because of their opponents and just luck. Uh, but the Grizzlies are a better team with John Morant. They just ran into some bad luck. And uh, Ja was not pleased with those two fans, and I would like to publicly disown those fans. I, <laughs> I wouldn't call them fans. Ja, we love you. We want you to stay. Uh, we don't want you to leave. And don't listen to those fans. That'd be like Titans fans saying we're better without Derrick Henry after exactly. we beat the Rams and the Saints, and then we lost. You know, and he. I mean, that's just that's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. So um, the ceiling is definitely higher with Ja on the floor. And uh, the low lights, the bench did not score very well besides Anthony Melton. And Dylan Brooks led the team in field goals attempted. Um, our podcast is kind of known at this point for being sort of on uh, not on in Dylan's corner, um, but he played, as has been documented by us, we apologize publicly because he played so well <laughs> in the playoffs. Uh, and he's been an enforcer. He's been that guy on our team who's just going to go out and guard the best player, and you need a dog on your team like that who just doesn't care. He's going to try every minute of the game. And so uh, he, though, still led the team in field goals attempted. Not that he's not great, but we need John Morant and Jaron Jackson to be the leaders in those categories. And so when he leads the game, that's a pretty good indicator of um, the offense not really being in sync. So... Um, we weren't expected to win last night. We've played pretty well in Golden State before, so there was hope. And even the score doesn't really indicate how close it actually was. Uh, they went on a 7-0 run to finish. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm impressed with, with the team. They play in Sacramento the day after Christmas. So Sacramento's not exactly been uh, the greatest team in the world. So hopefully we can get a quick win there, kind of get right with Jaw in the lineup and and turn these things around. It's still very early for the NBA. Um, they're basically almost at the third mark of the season, one-third mark. So uh, we'll see. But, uh, Rob, let's get into kind of like the the, the second half of this discussion. Now yeah. we've recapped the games. I was doing a little bit of research on this. Do you, this, is, this is some trivia for you. Okay. Three states. Uh, there are only three states in the U.S., Continental, or are we counting Hawaii? <laughs> Cont- <Is that> Alaska? <laughs> Doesn't matter. We'll go continental. <laughs> um, so there are only three states that have two-plus cities in the top 30 of population. Do you know what those three states are? Two, three states with two cities in the top At 30? At least two cities in the top 30 of population. So I'm going to guess Tennessee, Nashville and Memphis. Tennessee was the third, Nashville and Memphis. Um all right, we have someone from the peanut, gallery, the peanut gallery over here saying Texas. Texas. Texas is one, and California is okay, the other. Okay, there you go. If you had told me that those were the three states that had two, at least two cities with the, the, the top you know, 30 city populations, I would call you crazy. <laughs> um, that's pretty cool. So I, I just kind of wanted to first throw that out, that there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk about the small markets of of Memphis and Nashville is growing obviously yeah. and it's if an NFL team is in your city besides let's say like Green Bay chances are you're a pretty big market so right. that's another point of context but um there has been a lack of respect right. for for lack of a better term um and it feels like we're sort of having to be the voice of the team uh, right. in a lot of ways so what have you seen 
just in in the way that the Titans sort of are yeah. occupying this this space as as I guess an underdog and what have you kind of seen? Yeah. Well, I think too, you make a good point about it not necessarily just being the size of the market because Nashville is a relatively big, and when we say market, we just mean the number of media. Um, yeah. members, the number of media um, avenues, I guess you would say, but also just the attention and the eyeballs that are, that are directed towards the teams in that market. Nashville got the Titans in 1999. We got the Predators as well. They were an expansion team of the NHL. So we're relatively new in the overall landscape of professional sports. There are teams like the Eagles and um the Cowboys, who have been, you know, they have had teams in their cities since the 40s, since the 50s. Um, and the Titans, they were historically the Oilers, right? So they're one of the one of the six uh, one of the six teams that started the AFL. Bud Adams was one of the founding members of the AFL, but they were in Houston. So when he picks the team up in out of Houston and brings him to Nashville because Houston want to build build him and his family a new stadium. All of a sudden, you have a lot of fans who don't go with the team. And so the Titans, they actually played their first season in Memphis, right? That's in right. 19, I think it was 1998. Then they come in 1999, they played in, at Vanderbilt Stadium, but while their stadium was being built at that time, it was called Adelphia Coliseum. So we've had 20 years, 20 seasons in Nashville, and that's just still a young, a young team, a young fan base, if you will. You're starting to see a lot of, uh, for the first time, Titans fans who have grown up with the Titans in their city, and they don't know a day. I'm one of those fans. I don't know a day without the Titans because I was so young when they moved here. I was just starting out to being a sports fan. I don't know what it's like not to cheer for the Titans in Nashville. And so as we start to build fans who grew up with the Titans, then I think our market's going to grow because that's kind of how you build um, attention. And you build obviously success is a huge part of it too, and then and not only success but star power. The Titans for a long time have not had star power. The Grizzlies for a long time have not had star power. Even the grit grind days, I would argue that Mike Conley and Zebo and Marcus Saul, they're not the same level of superstar that we think John Morant maybe already is or will get to. Um, the Titans, the same thing. Steve McNair. Keith Bullock, Javon Kirsch, you talk about some of the best players of their position, Chris Johnson even in that one year in two, when he went, ran for 2,000 yards. But we haven't had consistent stars. We still don't have a consistent start at the quarterback position, but at least we have players like A.J. Brown, Kevin Byard, and Derrick Henry is the number one headliner that gets national media attention. I would say since Vrabel and John Robinson got to the, to the Titans – not only are we do we have stars that draw eyeballs and draw attention, but we have really a really good team around those players. And so we're starting to see a consistent winning franchise where every year we're expecting now to go to the playoffs. And now we're kind of getting to the point where we're expecting to make noise in the playoffs. At least the Titans fans are. The national media, you know, it was funny when we were the number one team in the AFC, they love to say well, the Bills are actually going to be the best team come playoff right. time, or the Patriots are making a run. I don't think the brand, the Titans brand, isn't quite there yet where some of these national media members recognize it and believe in it. The only the way you change that is you keep winning in the playoffs. And Vrabel, you know, 
Vrabel wins. The Titans have won in the playoffs every year, but last year we lost to the Ravens in the in the wild card game. But you know we beat the Bills three years ago, two years ago we ran out, we went to the AFC Championship game. So just continuing to have success, if we can make it to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl, I think that's even gonna you know make our trajectory even higher in terms of. I'm just talking about you know the, the overall respect that we get totally. from national media. We don't get a lot of respect right now. We just don't. Um, players know it, coaches know it, people around the NFL know it. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of Titans fans get really frustrated when we have a huge game against the Rams and you wake up on mo- Monday morning and nobody's talking about the Titans. They're all talking about what's wrong with Matthew Stafford, what's wrong with Cooper Cup, That's what's a really wrong good with Sean it's, it's For the disrespect, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, like w- that nobody is talking about Derrick Henry being hurt and us still finding a way to win. Nobody's talking about Kevin Byard spending hours and hours and hours watching film on Stafford just for that one play where he read his eyes. He knew they were going to come out and run four, uh, line up two by two and run four out routes, and he picked off the, the out route um, to Cooper Cup. So, you know, there's storylines there that the national media just chooses to go a different way. And it's hard when you're going to go with the Los Angeles Rams. Like, most people around the country want to see the Rams storyline right versus the titans and at a certain point you just got to be okay with that right exactly it's like the underdog mentality basically kind of kicks in and you almost at that point it's sort of like a reverse psychology where you're like i kind of don't want to be respected because maybe that's a competitive advantage yeah at some point and you don't have to deal with the noise you don't have to and i've definitely experienced that too i think the difference so it's kind of like the comparison is yeah there's not a lot of respect between the two franchises the if you contrast it I think that the NFL as just a how you build teams is a little bit different. Right. Um, and it's not as much heavily reliant on free agency. Um, obviously, the roster is so much bigger. And so you're just going to have a bunch of guys who are happy to necessarily be making a team. And you still, I mean, you still will sign. You, you see Bud Dupree this offseason. Like, that's a big acquisition. Yeah. Um, he's probably taking other calls, too. Um, and that can come down to, you know, location has to do with that, I'm sure, at some level. But at the end of the day, if you have the cap flexibility, can pay him what he wants, then you have a really good chance to get him, right. regardless of where you are. Right. With the Grizzlies, it's a little bit different, um, not only because there's less guys on the roster, but they're, they're, the free agency is such a huge part of it. Um, yeah. Guys, for a long time, especially in the – LeBron James really influenced this. Guys really started to sign – these one to two year deals so that they could continue to have options and player empowerment has been a huge um, factor in the last like few years. And you've seen a, a lot of, of uh, almost every year, a lot of people actually um, who watch the NBA casually, it's a downside for them because they can't, there's no continuity. They're just like, well, who's yeah. this guy on this year? You know? And so that's starting to change a little bit. Uh, but it's also to interrupt real quick. Yeah. One of the most exciting things oh, in all of sports. It's a blast to NBA watch free the free agency. agency. Yep. I mean, it's up there with the NFL draft and March Madness 100%. in terms of just like the free most agency, exciting things. The trade deadline is you don't see a ton of trades that are like huge in the NFL or right. other leagues, but the trade deadline in the NBA, the, it's just how it works too because um, the team needs are so much more, uh, I guess, it, exposed. And then you need, you know, like the Grizzlies for a really, really long time, they were always trying to find shooters. And they just kept trying and missing. 
And uh, so you're always kind of searching. We do mock trades all the time because it's just really fun. And, and the way the contracts work, too. So you're dealing with less pieces. The other point I wanted to make was the margin for error is just so much smaller uh, when you're in a market like Memphis. And so you have to hit on just about 90% of your moves. Yeah. And you saw how devastating a Chandler Parsons yeah. max contract in 2016 was. I mean, four years, $30 million of your cap was going to a guy who wasn't playing. That was a huge mistake. And we essentially, it signaled the end of the grit and grind playoff run. Um, we had to completely re- rebuild by luck got the number two pick in a draft, which we were slotted yeah. to really have odds for number nine, and got John Morant. That changes everything. It makes the GM's job a lot easier. But you're seeing, like, they're now, they've been compiling draft picks in every one of their trades, and each of these draft picks, whether it's Desmond Bain at number 30, I mean, he's looking like a huge steal. Brandon Clark in the teens. Um, jury's still out on their their most recent 30th pick here, but, like, you have to hit on every single one. Or you're going to be, um, you're not getting anybody in free agency. Yeah, is my point. And so, well, I've got a question on that. Yeah, yeah. Back to Chandler Parsons because I actually I think obviously in hindsight it was a mistake, or it didn't work out. Let me say it that way. But I think going back to your point that the Grizzlies have to hit on everything. When you have a team with Zebo, Mike Conley, Tony Allen, and Marcus Saul, you almost have to make that move to get Chandler Parsons because. If it works, you're a title-contending team. And nobody is no, nobody knows at the time whether his knees are going to go out, you know, uh, give out on him or not. So that being said, and maybe you have maybe you disagree with that, maybe at the time I don't I don't exactly know what the situation was at the time, but just thinking from an outsider perspective, at some point in time in the next 3 years, the Grizzlies are going to be in the same position where they have a really good team and now they have an opportunity and they've got to go out, and they've got to probably overpay to go get a top 20 player. And just on paper, those decisions seem very, very similar. Obviously, the way they play out, it totally matters who that player is and how they fit and how and their health, right? But don't you see the Grizzlies in the next few years approaching a similar sort of inflection point in their franchise where they have to go out and take a big swing at a Chandler Parsons Type Absolutely. Of, type so of that's that's a great segue into what I kind of want to use as sort of our closing point here, which is I, I'm I want to hear from you from the Titans' perspective where you think you guys are in sort of what I call the life cycle of a team, which you know most teams are going to go up and then they go down and then they go up and then they go down. Um, that's just the nature of franchises. Patriots, obviously, big outlier in the NFL. Spurs, big outlier in the NBA. You don't see sustained success. And on the flip side, there's teams that are just terrible every year. Uh, but um, to answer your question, yes, like we are already plotting right now, like who we can see uh, contracts expiring in 2025. You know, like yeah. who are the guys that we think are number one going to be available number two going to be attainable and number three going to fit and so there's a huge debate on whether John Morant is like a number one level guy Mm -hmm. because we're trying to win a championship Mm -hmm. and we haven't always said that but like we think that we have the tools and the foundation that's being built to get there now who's that player going to be 
Uh, we drafted Zaire Williams, number 10, this year, who's like skinny as a rail. He's like 20 years old, and he's that wing, tall wing player that the Grizzlies have been missing for a really long time that can shoot. Is he going to be end up developing into that guy, and are we just going to extend him into a maybe more cost-effective deal? But like you were saying, at some point, the last move you make into championship contention is usually an overpay for a surefire star. And at that level, you are happy to give them all the money. Right. And you're happy to pay the tax. And you're happy to potentially give up your future and 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 trade it for now. And you're seeing that from the Nets, who just gave up every draft pick they had for James Harden. And um, you're looking at the Warriors, who are about to pay millions of dollars in luxury tax just so that they can keep their core of guys together you don't you that's it's 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 all about the money at some level but at the end of the day too it's it's more so knowing when to spend it it's all about timing and so absolutely to answer your question like the Chandler Parsons thing that was a very specific scenario where the cap actually ballooned uh within one year it went up by 30 million dollars that's never going to happen again because there's negotiations going now on now about the next like collective bargaining agreement where they're going to if it does go up, they're going to do more of an escalator rather than a one-year bump. That is, there's the Grizzlies are not the only team that made horrible decisions on free agents in that year and overpaid them. So, but to your your broader point is correct, um, and that's I could see that in the next two to three years, and that's not what we could have predicted as soon as before we saw John Morant play, but we see him play now, and we're like, we need to speed this up a little bit, maybe. Um, so we'll see, uh, where do you think the Titans are like with the current roster right now? And how many years do you think you've kind of got this, this core group together? So I'd say as things stand right now, we feel like we, there's a championship window here. Um, it's hard, it's hard to see why we think that unless you go back to the chiefs game or you go back to the bills game and, well, I, I really believe if we have A.J. Brown healthy, Derrick Henry healthy, Tannehill plays well, and the defense is playing lights out and they continue that, that we're going to be one of the best teams in the NFL in January. I really fully believe that. Um, that being said, I, I think the moves that we made in the offseason, Bud Dupree, you mentioned him, bringing, bringing him in, a huge contract, going and trading for Julio, even though it hasn't worked out like we thought it, it, it would, you don't make those moves unless you think you're a player or two away from competing for a championship. Now, the reason we're able to make those moves is because John Robinson and Mike Vrabel have built a culture, a championship culture, and they've brought in players in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, undrafted rookies, um, even uh, you know free agent veterans in their fifth and sixth year who are able to contribute at a high level. They've built a really good team. So that being said, I think the championship window is as long as Derrick Henry's in his prime. If he comes back and he's not himself after this injury, I think our championship window is probably closed. He is that player who you can rely on to win you a football game. Um, most players in the NFL or most teams have that player as their quarterback. So yeah. long term, that's the big question mark. Is Tannehill the guy? Can he lead a team and be the man on his own? A lot of people say after the last six games, no. 
But also, I think it's you got to push back on that because he didn't have literally anyone to throw to besides practice squad guys. He was handing the football off to guys who weren't on active rosters to start the season. But at the same time, Tannehill has made a lot of mistakes that regardless of who he's throwing to or handing the ball off to, it really makes you scratch your head and wonder, is he a kind of guy you want to you want to have around to, to take you on a dynasty type of run? I think the answer to that question is probably no. So as the Titans stand right now, I think our championship window is this year and next year. But I think there's a foundation there, and I think John Robinson has proved that other than first-round picks, he's a very, very, very good general manager. And we have gone into great detail on our podcast about uh, his <laughs> failure in first-round picks. Um, he makes up for it, I guess. He does make up for it. No, he definitely makes up for it, and there's no doubt about that. Um, so, you know, when you talk about the trajectory of a team, we're relatively new to the idea that we could win a championship. Um, the Titans were bad in the early teens, even the late 2000s. We had maybe one year, but we got out of we got beat by the Ravens early in the playoffs where we went 13 and 3. We were pretty good in the early 2000s, but again, most of us were were kids then or we were just experiencing the Titans for the first time. So it's been a while since the Titans have had multiple years where we feel like we should be at the top of the NFL contending for a championship. But I feel like we're starting to get there. I think we're a few pieces away. And the NFL is such a year-to-year league that you can be there one year and then all of a sudden the wheels fall off. And you any have given no, Sunday. Any given Sunday. You have no idea what happened. And then all of a sudden your team, you're like, oh, well, we got to completely rebuild. Or, you know, you're really, really bad. And then you bring in a new coach, a couple of new pieces, and all of a sudden you're one of the you know best teams in your division and competing for the playoffs. So... There's a lot that can change in a year, and that's why it's hard to... It's not quite like the NBA where you can really build over the course of a decade to get yourself... Like the Warriors, they have built that thing through the draft. Obviously, they brought Kevin Durant in, but even before Kevin Durant, they won a championship. They won a championship, yep. So that was, what, a seven-year process? You can do that in the NBA, I would say, a lot more effectively than you can in the NFL. In the NFL, it's more about building the culture. It's more about built, bringing guys in who are going to fit your culture, who are going to get along with the team, having the right people people at the top who are going to make the right decisions um, but are okay to, to say, if I made a mistake, I'm cutting bait. That's the greatest thing, the best thing about John Robinson. He brings in Isaiah Wilson. He doesn't, and Isaiah Wilson, he's sleeping in meetings. He's not learning the playbook. He doesn't care about his teammates. He doesn't care about working hard in the weight room and getting better. He's just he's just getting the money, getting the paycheck, and, and not giving anything to the team. Four months in, they cut him. A lot of general managers don't do that. They, they, they don't want to admit publicly they made a mistake. And so that's where I feel like, you know, not not everybody's going to hit 100% in the NFL, but John Robinson, when he misses, he just admits it. He's like, all right, cutting cut and bait. Going to get somebody else in here to do your job. So I think because John Robinson and Vrabel are at the helm, the Titans have a the potential to be a long term top top franchise, and that's their stated goal. They want to be a year in and year out championship contending team. So maybe you know to make the comparison and come full circle here, we're a little bit ahead of the Grizzlies, but I think the Grizzlies have the right pieces in place. Like I feel like if we had a young quarterback who like Josh Allen or Justin Herbert then I would say that would be our John Morant. So I feel like the Grizzlies maybe have 
that number one bona fide star that you can rely on, even though he was really, really young, because he's just he's so smart, he's a great leader, he's the right player that you want to build a team around. And the Titans have a lot of really, really great players, but there's still that question mark at the most important position, quarterback. It's kind of... It's a little grit and grindish. It is not very grit and grind- grindish. It's a little bit of like a win by committee, yes, uh, and everybody doing the right thing, but exactly. you don't have the same flash, right? I mean, obviously AJ, but like, well, especially with Derrick Henry, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's our that's it's our running back. The identity of our team is physical downhill football in January when you don't want to tackle a guy who's two hundred forty pounds who runs a four four forty. And then on defense, we are just now seeing for the first time in a decade a really physical defense who can rush the passer, who has multiple guys on all three levels that offenses have to game plan for. Kevin Byard, Zach Cunningham, Jeffrey Simmons. That that hasn't happened in a long time in Nashville. So I think there's a lot of positivity. Like I said, last week it was all doom and gloom, and everything can change next week. If we go out and lose to the Dolphins, Tannehill throws four picks, I'll probably be up here saying, let's blow it all up. Trade three. I mean, this is something we've been saying. Trade three first-round picks for Russell Wilson in the offseason because it's not like we're hitting on the first-round picks anyway. Um, But we'll see. We'll see how we play in January. We'll see how Derek comes back. He is coming back. It just depends on how he plays and how he's he- if he's healthy. Um, I would say most people I would not expect much, but from him, from the king, when the king returns, I'm expecting I'm expecting greatness. So uh, listen, I think you you hit the nail on the head, and I think it's a perfect way to end this. It's it's about culture, and when you're in a situation in a in a market which we've talked a lot about, um, that maybe doesn't have to rely, um on the right decisions always being made because there's always going to be bailouts. Culture is the most important thing because it's something you can control no matter what. Absolutely. And so having it top down, I think um, the the Titans and the Grizzlies are two of kind of these poster franchises I think you can you can put up against any anybody else as far as how their culture is being built. And I think right. that's something that Tennessee Tennessee residents can be proud of, Tennessee yeah. fans can be proud of. We can uh, both rally around that, and so I think that's just—it's a lot of hope. I I would say, um, and and we—I mean, think about it. We're fans that are talking about this on a podcast. If the team sucked, chances are we wouldn't be excited to get out every week and yeah. talk about these teams. So I think, if anything, like this is an indicator of how things are going. Um, so anyway, for the primetime Titans listeners, where can they find the Grizzden Pod? And uh, where can they follow you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Grizzden Podcast on anywhere you get your podcast, go to grizzden.com. That is where actually we've been selling uh, our merchandise. We have a bunch of Grizzlies gear. Um, we had a, a really great uh, Merry Christmas line that we uh, that really killed it over Christmas. So we're proud of that. And then uh, shout out to our resident designer, Mary Evelyn. I think it's an appropriate episode to give her a shout out here for all that the work she's put in. Happens to be Robert's cousin who helps with sister. social media. Oh, sister! Sorry, sorry. My cousin, cousin Robert's sister. Uh, she helps a ton with social media for both of our podcasts and does a lot of design work um, for our our gear. Primetime Titans fans, uh, stay tuned for some of that potential gear. Yes, we're up. hoping to have that up um, first first week of January. I know we've been promoting it a lot. We're really excited about it. We're the company we're working with 
has some backlog, so we're hoping to that's right. Hoping to get some. That's right. Um, at Grizzden on Twitter, at Grizz underscore Den on Instagram, uh, and Primetime Titans. Where we, where can we find you? Yeah, at Primetime Titans on Twitter and Instagram, and then uh, no website yet. We're in terms of uh, the growth of the program, we're about a year behind the Grizzden <laughs> pod, <laughs> so we're. We're growing. You're a year to, from contention. Yeah, yeah. We're hoping to get some, like we said, some our first, uh, our first merchandise up uh, first week of January, um, and it's going to co- coincide, we think, with uh, the return of Derrick Henry. So be on the lookout for that. Two episodes a week right now from the Primetime Titans: a recap episode and a preview episode. Um, it's going to be hopefully even. I mean, it's going to be a must listen during the playoffs, especially. But you can jump in right now. Um, don't have to start from, from the beginning of the season. They're reacting to the games that are happening right now. So give them a listen. Rate both the podcast. We appreciate it. Hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. Robert, this has been a blast. I'm Absolutely. glad we finally got to do this. And next time we'll get J.G. Pettit, Brantley, and Ty on and have just a big party here to celebrate Love both that. of these podcasts and celebrate Tennessee and all the awesome things going on uh, with sports in this state. So thanks for joining us, and happy holidays.